there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, your co-host. It is a show about money. And, uh, boy, it's been tough, tough slugging this fall. Uh, September, which is usually the worst month of the year. Uh, we got through it basically uh, unscathed. But uh, come October, just when the seasonal strength is about to begin, whammo. The market does what it does well. It hurts the, mo- the maximum amount of participants. Uh, and that which has worked best has given back also the most, uh, notably the tech stocks and notably the acronym that has been touted for so many years now on Wall Street, first mocked and scoffed at, then respected. And the acronym is FANG, representing Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. They threw Microsoft into the equation but couldn't get an M in the word FANG. A little uh, apple in there too but then, they started, they, then I heard on CNBC some of the cats drop, uh, I think, the F- uh, I don't know, they, they, they redid it because one of the names began to break down. But uh, ironically, the last man standing in Fang was Apple, and they took that puppy out to the woodshed uh, and uh, gave it a good walloping too. So we need help to find out uh, if Fang's bite will draw further blood uh, from the marketplace. And so who other to ask than an expert on Wall Street, Mr. Michael Graham. Uh, big applause. CFA analyst, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, a very, very bright man. So, Michael, you cover uh, Alphabet, I still call it Google. You cover Amazon uh, taking over the world. You cover eBay, don't care that much, uh, but we cover Net- Netflix and Facebook. Uh, so you, you are you are Fang. Uh, you are Fang without the Apple. Um, and they've been defanged for sure. Defanged, that, 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 that's the phrase. So, look, Michael, let, let's start with the following. Um, Marijuana stocks are owned by retail investors. Fang stocks, uh, because of the price tag, certainly a lot of what we call institutional ownership. Uh, pension funds, hedge funds, uh, and the hedge funds, of course, every now and then want to try to short the stocks because they're smarter than everyone else. So, so you speak to these folks, call them your clients. Um, are they selling? Obviously, someone is. Uh, but, but what is the narrative for... Uh, and what type of uh, portfolio managers are dumping versus holding versus buying the FANG complex? Because I'm long and I'm right now wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think one thing that's going on, Wolfgang, is, and, and thanks for having me on, you know, I think one thing that's going on is just, um, you know, the stock market itself is kind of under pressure and these FANG stocks are such a huge part of um, of the stock market, you know, a huge part of the NASDAQ. And when you're getting, you know, just sort of de-risking happening, these stocks are going to are going to get hurt. Um, you know that said, you, you definitely had some fundamental cracks uh, show up in a couple of the stories in Q3. Um, you know, most notably, uh, you saw that um, that that Facebook has. You know, they had a really rough Q2. Um, you know, Q3 was sort of more of the same with a little bit slower growth and everything. Um, you know, uh, people are starting to just kind of revisit that one. We still uh, are, are like it because we think that you know it's going to keep growing, uh, you know, at, at at around this rate for for quite a while, and you know the valuation is just super reasonable. Um, you know, you also had a little bit of a dislocation in Amazon where you know they came out and said, um, and this isn't unusual for them by the way, but they came out and said, uh, hey, Q3 was really strong. Q4, there's the holiday season. Um, we, we're not 
you know, it's hard to predict the holiday season, so we're going to give you, like, slower uh, revenue growth guidance. Um, and that, you know, hurt that stock. That's another one where we really like it. We would be, you know, buying it on these dips because it's got such a long, you know, growth runway ahead. Um, and the other one, you know, that actually has held up really well um, that you mentioned briefly is Netflix, where, um, you know, Netflix um, has been, you know, kind of in melt- melting down a little bit, but not as much as those others. But Netflix also had, you know, super strong fundamentals and, um, you know, great subscriber growth and, uh, you know, they're doing a good job with their content slate, which is, you know, the big thing that drives subscribers. So, you know, out of that fan complex, those are the three that we would focus on. We're still on the sidelines on Google, um, you know, just kind of feeling like um, like the growth uh, actually there is, you know, more, you know, towards the end than the beginning. And, you know, we're still a little worried about margins at Google, but but the other ones, you know, we, we still like. One of the biggest concerns for the the whole Fang complex because they're so powerful and they've had so much growth in the last couple of years ha, has been regulation. Is that something that uh, some of these big institutions are are concerned about, Michael? You know, it's definitely on the list of you know the top five things that people are focused on. It's not it's not one or two or probably even three. Um, you know, you basically have a few vectors here. Um, one of those is just a privacy um, and what uh, more privacy regulation uh, might do. Um, to revenue and to the ability to target with ads and things like that. And, um, you know, there are, I, I think that fear is, is probably, um, you know, overblown for two reasons. Um, one is that uh, Europe, you know, already implemented GDPR and all these companies went uh, GDPR compliant globally. So they're able to really kind of say, listen, you know, there was this, you know, tough new rule in, in Europe and we've already sort of complied with it globally. Second thing, though, is, you know, is that, um, these big companies are going to be the ones that are the most capable of dealing with increased regulation. So, um, you know, you might get a short-term blip if there is, you know, some big new requirement, but that should be replaced with, you know, these, these companies gaining even more market share in the ad market. So anyway, that's, that's one major regulatory thing. Um, you know, the other one is just, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, make sure that the platforms are, you know, safe, the public, that there's not nothing like election tampering and things like that, um, you know, I think that's just going to work itself out. So I'm not super concerned on the regulatory front, even though it, it seems kind of bad right now. Um, but I, but I kind of think that cloud's going to pass. Uh, we speak with Michael Graham. He's an analyst with Canaccord. Works on Wall Street. Uh, de- deals with the big money, the big names, the the Fang complex, the the Amazons, the Googles, Facebooks, Netflix of the world. Uh, important stocks. Uh, you're exposed directly or indirectly to the sector, my good friends. It's all part of a new ecosystem. We live in it, and if you're an investor, uh, it's been pretty hard to avoid such success stories. So uh, they're, they're under pressure. Uh, we're here speaking with Michael Graham to find out why they're under pressure and uh, when the dust shall settle, or I guess in November as I'm sleeping on the streets, when, when the snow will settle. Uh, but uh, anyways, let's pay some bills around here. Get right back with Michael Graham uh, from Canaccord Genuity right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, it didn't come. It's kryptonite, indeed. Uh, kryptonite, 
Bitcoin, blockchain, digital assets. Michael Graham, analyst with Canaccord Genuity, covers that as well. You, you have a full plate, uh, Michael. To be covering technology stocks unto itself uh, is challenging. Uh, it's just so much change going on uh, day in, day out. But then to layer on digital assets, this whole new potential paradigm that's going to disrupt the entire universe and uh, throwing that uh, project on your plate. Uh, my good friend, you're due for a raise. Uh, Michael Graham, analyst with Canaccord Genuity, working live on Wall Street on Hi-Fi Radio with us. Thank you for joining us. Yep, thank you. And I'd settle for a vacation. You deserve a vacation, and it's getting cold. <laughs> it must be, is it cold in New York? It's getting, it's really chilly today, actually, and we're getting some snow later today as well. Yeah, very, very good. Well, I, I participated in a Covenant House sleepout uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, the same event occurred in New York City on Thursday. So, you know, we are brothers, and we all have the same cause, uh, helping those less fortunate than us. Uh, but uh, Bitcoin has been uh, absolutely annihilated this week. It's incredible. There was a couple of really cool stories this week. Uh, one of our strategists uh, believes a hedge fund got really offside oil and not gas. Uh, long oil, short not gas. They got their head it's handed to them as oil just went lower and that gas went higher. But the other uh, asset that got absolutely destroyed this week was uh, cryptocurrency, crypto assets. The big one, of course, is Bitcoin hitting a new low for 2018, trading what 5600 US, of course. Uh, Ethereum was down 13%. XRP was down about the same. Uh, you know, assets are assets, brands are brands. Um, you know, what's behind the curtain is a big idea with blockchain and digital assets, but. Uh, Good golly. Uh, you want to talk about a bear market. It's, it's, it's pretty pretty ugly in that space, isn't you, it? Usually when you have an asset class that moves in either direction, but certainly on the downside, there's always one or two players that really get themselves caught offside. And you hear about it in the news the next couple of weeks, right? So we'll see who was on the, the wrong side of that, you know, NAC gas trade, and we'll see who's uh, been exposed to, to Bitcoin, right? So, so Michael, again, you you are a analyst and, and portfolio managers who run money, call guys like you for ideas. Um, do, do you actually speak to uh, Wall Street managers about crypto assets and, and do they listen to you? Because I don't think that's part of their um, uh, uh, quiver. Well, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of the key question, actually. Um, you know, take a step back, like the whole uh, Bitcoin uh, value case is, is really centered around it being an alternative to gold. It's digital gold. Um, it's, you know, a store of value. It's an uncorrelated asset, uh, you know, that, 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 that doesn't move in, in lockstep with equities. It's very hard to find uncorrelated assets in the, in the markets these days. Um, and so, um, you know, the, 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 the case for value in Bitcoin is very much like the case for gold. Uh, you know, gold, a very small percentage of it um, is used in industry and jewelry. Um, you know, it's basically people parking money there. And um, that's really what explains the value. And that's the same thing for, for Bitcoin, more or less. Some of the other crypto assets have, you know, different use cases. But for Bitcoin, that's it. And what we saw last year was, you know, just this meteoric rise in Bitcoin, it, it, it had to give, you know, some of, some of that back. And, and, and we've been sort of expecting that. And, um, you know, I think that this, the, the latest, you know, kind of uh, volatility is probably, you know, not the thing to focus on. It's more just like what's been going on, you know, basically all of 2018. Um, you know, when you, when, you, when you start to think about when and how the, the, the price might recover, um, you know, you've typically seen um, these these things last about you know somewhere between like sort of 14 to 20 months these, these downturns in, in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and um, and that would imply you know uh, you know next March or April something like that you know is, is is when 
you know, from historical pattern recognition perspective, you might see a bottom. Yeah, well, well time has to run its course. And uh, we, we have, by the way, Michael Graham on the line. He's one of our analysts at Canaccord Genuity, uh, working on Wall Street, uh, big brain, uh, covering some, some big, big space, shall I say. We're talking right now, of course, about crypto assets that have been... Uh, I don't know, have they been kryptonited? They've been kryptonic? Uh, just, they they talk knowledge. about hard forks. I think they've uh, come in for a hard landing for the time being anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, in terms of time, you think perhaps next spring uh, she bottoms out, but at $5,600 uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, what, what kind of catalyst no. would uh, would cause that? So uh, um, it wouldn't just be a calendar event. So what, what would you expect to see that would cause Bitcoin or the interest and sentiment to rise for uh, these crypto assets? Yeah. Yeah, you know what we're what we're focused on is the most likely, um, you know, um, a spark is is use of the um, Bitcoin in emerging markets where you've got hyperinflation. Like that's really where you see, you know, at, at times when the Argentinian peso or you know currencies in Venezuela and places like that have started to, you know, really go through periods of super duper hyperinflation, uh, the Bitcoin transaction volume in those countries picks up dramatically and. Um, that that could lead to a chain reaction. Um, so that's one that's one thing we're focused on. You know, the other the other key thing is um, is really institutional involvement. You know, you asked this earlier, Wolfgang. Like like that, your typical um, money management firm, you know, still is not in a position to sprinkle some Bitcoin into their portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them will put like commodities, and a lot of them will put you know things that are that are just not correlated with the rest of their equity portfolio because as you know, you know, you get really good diversification benefits. They haven't really done that with Bitcoin yet. Um, you know, take a look at Fidelity Digital Asset Services. Um, this is a new thing that Fidelity, which is a you know obviously a money management giant, launched um, you know a, a few weeks ago. They're 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 coming to market with a custody solution uh, that is going to make it a heck of a lot easier for institutions to start to buy Bitcoin. Um, you know, that really should um, you know come into play uh, next year. The institutions, you know, the money managers will still need to decide that they want the exposure and they still need to kind of set up products where their uh, investors know what they're doing in terms of, you know, putting a little money in Bitcoin. But that's also another thing we think as we get into like, you know, the the spring of next year that that could also start to bring institutions online. Very, very interesting stuff. Uh, Michael, you're... A brilliant man. Uh, you are an analyst with Canaccord. It's a pleasure to have you on our team. I do appreciate your guidance. You know, your keenest name, I'm going to say, in the FANG space in the last year was Netflix, and that one's held in the best. Kudos to you. Uh, I will say Google, you know, considering the you know the, the, the FANG, um, defang that's going on, I can still, still say Google's held in reasonably well. Wouldn't you agree? Like, it's still over 1000 bucks, 1006 It's not that bad of a haircut. Wouldn't you agree there, Michael? No, to- totally agree. I mean, you know, our 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 thoughts on Google have been like in, in the in the bull market for the Fang stocks. We felt like you know Google would probably underperform the Fang stocks and and possibly look pretty good relative to the rest of the tech sector or relative to the rest of the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a downturn, uh, you know, I you would expect Google to kind of hold up fairly well just because of the of the valuation, really. Right. Um, you know, it, it's Garpy, so that, that, that doesn't surprise us. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I appreciate your time once again, Michael Graham. Look forward to having you back on and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank okay. you, Wolfgang. You're very welcome. Coming up next, Santa is coming to town. We're going to talk about the Santa Claus Parade. Uh, it is, you know, well, it's all about business, too, and we're going to have uh, Kevin Muir back on as well, the macro tourist. Looking forward to it. Stay tuned. 
says the boss, eh? Well, it is just that. Time for the Santa Claus Parade. Are you listening to Hi-Fi Radio? You are. It's a show about money. Uh, in America, Christmas garners a trillion dollars of spend. A trillion dollars in America spent on Christmas. So uh, I'll tell you, uh, if you're in the stock market, uh, Q4 is the quarter to pay attention to. When you see those earnings come through in January and February, that's one of the reasons why the market tends to do so well in January is because it's rallying off the strength of all the money we spent on Christmas. Um, so who, another, who, who better to speak to about Christmas than, of course, Alfred Lanacelli. Is it Lanacelli? I had it right the first time there, Alfred. Yanarelli. Yanarelli. My friend Alfred, I said to you before, Bonatelli, which means, of course, Merry Christmas. Uh, I, I always joke with my wife, by the way. Uh, I married into an Irish family. Of course, I'm of German descent, and so uh, us Germans like to talk about what was good. And, of course, the, the Tannenbaum, the Christmas tree invented by the Germans. Um, retirement. Retirement invented by the it's Germans. It's a nice gift. It's a very nice gift. Yeah. And Santa Claus, of course, was invented by the Germans. Uh, and it's got nothing to do with the engineering. It, it just, you know, it's not. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the engineering. It's got to do with heart. Yes, we, we Germans have heart. Uh, we're funny people, too. Big, big, warm people. Of course, I'm a Canadian, very proud Canadian. Uh, but uh, it's funny. The, the first Santa Claus parade in Toronto took place in 1905 on a Sunday, December 2nd. And uh, it, <laughs> according to this, it was a one-man show. That's all you, that's all you needed <laughs> back then. A one-man show. Oh, that's classic. Fast forward to 2018, and my good golly, uh, I'm sure it's going digital. You guys must be going digital. Is there a digital float of some sort, some Instagram millennial float uh, that, um, that we can talk about here? Well, there's a Pokemon float. Okay. That gets close, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. Alfred. Yeah, Alfred, by the way, he's the general manager and creative director uh, for the Santa Claus Parade. I guess that means, Alfred, that you live and breathe Christmas all year long? Yes, sir. That is exactly what it means. It must do something to your inner self. I don't I don't know what. I don't know positive. I don't know negative. But uh, to live and breathe Christmas all day long, I'm done with it by, I don't know. Christmas, but uh, that's just me. So let's talk about the Santa Claus Parade, the relevance of it to Toronto. Um, you know, Toronto's a very different city uh, with a lot less Christians in it today, I think, than there was in 1905. I think in 1905, 80, 90% of Torontonians... I would say there's less, but as a percentage. I'd say 1905, 90% of Torontonians were... Um, were uh, uh, Christian, the other 10% were probably Jewish. And I'm just guessing, but I'm probably not that far off base. Uh, uh, I remember Jewish, used to, Jewish friends of mine used to love Christmas. Of course, I'm Christian myself, but Jewish friends love Christmas because they got two holidays. They got, the, they got their Hanukkah holidays, and then they got their Christmas holidays. So they loved sure, it. Sure, a few extra presents who, who never went, hurts anyone. Who, yeah. who went to the movies on Christmas? It was the Jews. It was great. They loved it. Uh, no one was there. It was beautiful. But um, uh, the Santa Claus parade, is a, so Toronto's a different city, uh, very, very multicultural today, and, 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 and uh, many creeds are, are, are celebrated. Uh, so, so what, what's happened to attendance? What, uh, how have we evolved in the last hundred years uh, as a uh, event? Well, uh, so 
to go back a little bit to attendance, our attendance it gets bigger and bigger every year. And I uh, go through the parade uh, in an SUV, sort of a command post, and I see the crowds. Like a little Popemobile. Uh, yeah, like the Popemobile, Santa Mobile, <laughs> let's call it that. Um, and what I see on the streets is Toronto. What nice. I see on the streets is everybody. It doesn't matter what they believe in. It doesn't matter. They are there for the best show of the year on the streets of Toronto every year. And the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What is the estimated crowd? Well, you know what? It's impossible to count. Sure. But let me tell you that that we are, by the, by the, the length of our route, we are three times bigger than any other parade in the city of Toronto. Because the other parades are like two kilometers. We're six. And we're full. I mean, we are full. It's unbelievable how thick the crowds are. Every wow. Year. Well, Toronto's getting known for its parades. You know, Gay Pride International Renown now. Sure. Our, the, the, our Santa Claus parade, is it not the largest Santa Claus parade in the world, Jack? Tell, tell me that, or Alfred? Yeah. You know what? Find one that's bigger. I don't think there is. We are, we are the oldest and we are the biggest. To tell, so, that, so to, for, to tell that to Donald Trump, he'll make one bigger. <laughs> uh, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so talking about tourists, um, is, there, is there a lot of tourism that is brought into Toronto, a lot of uh, dollars from outside coming uh, as a result you know, of your parade? We've never really tracked that, but we do know that like, we have things happening at the Hilton, and they're usually telling us they're completely full and they can only squeeze us in tiny little rooms. Um, so I think it does. But we've never, to be honest with you, actually tracked how many tourists they bring in. But so, Alfred, let's talk about the Santa Claus Parade, because, again, it's a full-time job for Alfred. And uh, yeah. I see some of your warehouses back in my old stomping ground uh, up in Downsview. Yeah. Uh, that's, you, you store some of your, your floats, and I see them in parking lots every now and then when I'm driving across the 401. Uh, and uh, I used to remember, uh, at, well after the, the show ended, you'd be still driving those floats down the uh, lesser-traveled routes. And so if you're fortunate enough to live in one of those streets, you actually see some of the floats after the fact. It's kind of funny. But in terms of the dollars, the, the investment that has to go into maintaining and, and produce the Santa Claus Parade every year. What is your budget? And more importantly, who pays for it? Okay, so our budget is, is approximately $2 million a year to put on the Santa Claus Parade. So how much was it? $2 million a year. Oh, okay. All right, and, and uh, we, uh, it's very important to know that although we get incredibly great uh, cooperation from the City of Toronto, they're our biggest partner as far as cooperation with all of the all the police and ambulance and everything else, we get no dollars from any level of government. We get no dollars from the city, no dollars from the province, no dollars from the feds. Everything we do, we raise ourselves. So we have sponsorships, and the sponsors, as well as other activities like the uh, Holly Jolly Fun Run and the Celebrity Clowns, is what helps to put the parade down the street every year. We're totally self-funded. Huh. And so the, it takes place this Sunday. Where, where does it begin and where does it end? So we start at Bloor and Christie, and we end at uh, Bercy Park. Uh, yeah, and, and how long does the whole entire parade last? So it's, it's, uh, it's six kilometers. I can do the route for you if you wish. Sure. All right, so we start at Bloor and Christie, and we go east on Bloor Street to University Avenue. We go down the northbound lanes of University Avenue all the way down 
to Wellington Street, mm-hmm. go along Wellington to Young, mm-hmm. down Young to Front, and along Front, and it ends one block east of Bercy Park. And do you respect those bike lanes as you guys are cruising around? Yeah, absolutely. We oh, do. good, good. Oh, absolutely. We good. Do. We, 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 we respect everything. <laughs> respects everyone and everything. Um, we were speaking with the, we were speaking with uh, Alfred. He is the general manager and creative director for the Santa Claus Parade. This is going to be the 114th yep. annual Santa Claus Parade taking place this Sunday. Uh, you know, again, I'm a stock market guy. It's it's all my my job is to help people make money, and uh, I, I look forward to Christmas each and every year. But the primary reason I look forward to Christmas is self interest. Uh, Santa Claus tends to come to Bay Street, and the market tends to rally. And boy, we need Santa to come. So bad, because it's been pretty tough the last uh, six weeks, I shall say. Alfred, so uh, may you inspire Santa to come back uh, to Bay Street and uh, cheer things on. And who knows, it may help your sponsorship effort. Uh, looking forward to the parade this weekend. I thank you for your time, and I congratulate you. It sounds like you have a really fun job, and you're very, very passionate about it. Uh, that was Alfred uh, with the Santa Claus Parade. He's a general manager and creative director. You enjoy yourself your weekend. Coming up next, we're going to speak uh, again with Kevin Muir, market strategist for East West Investment Management. He's the author of the macro tourist right after this listen we're gonna take a break but when we come back more money talk you're listening to hi-fi radio from global news radio 640 toronto welcome back hi-fi radio a show about money and if you got money, uh, maybe you're a little frightened by the market action that's been occurring for the month of October leading into the month of November. A um, lot of movement in a lot of different asset classes. You're seeing uh, cryptocurrencies we spoke about getting annihilated, natural gas going through the roof. Who would have figured? Yeah, it's chilly out there, but uh, there's something else going on with Nat Gas. Believes a very good friend of mine, Kevin Muir. He's a market strategist with East West Investment Management, also the author of The Macro Tourist, which is how I know Kevin Muir, a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio, just because he is so smart. So it's a pleasure to have you back in the studio with Jack and I to talk about uh, should we fear the reaper, my good friend? As you know, again, we're not traders. We're, we're, we're our clients are investors. Um, you know, they're they're talking about retirement funds. They're talking about their kids' education fund. Um, 2018 has been a tough year, but it hasn't been an annihilation. Uh, for the most part, clients are are flat, maybe down one percent so far. But we had a good run up, and then we gave the run up back. So call it a lost year. Uh, do we have reason for optimism at these levels? In other words, Kevin Muir, holding your current positions, if you own quality and not junk, and if you're well diversified, looking out 18 months, two years, will we have a smile or a frown on our face? Oh, I think you'll have a smile for sure. Um, I think the one thing that investors should think about, though, is getting away from the index. You mentioned the fact that a lot of your not your investors, because I'm sure your investors are doing great, but some investors out there are feeling like it's kind of a blah year in terms of uh, their returns. And if you look at the Toronto Stock Exchange Composite Index, it's down 3%. It's kind of been up 5 down 7 and it's kind of meandered around. The interesting part about it is that for the first time in the last, or sorry, in the last 30 years, there's been two years where the actual bond market has been down. And those two years were 1999 and 2013. So... Right now, so, and, and, and bonds are down this year as well. Correct, we we, we lead up your point. That's okay. what I was going to say is that this is now a year where bonds are down. 
Um, and also the stock market is down, which is unusual because if you look at 1999, the stock market was up 29%. And if you look at 2013, the stock market was up 11% or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is the first year that we've had a situation where both stocks and bonds are down on the You know, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Jack, you and I never really spoke about that, you know, as we have our ongoing discussions. That's actually what makes you and I good together because we, we, we discuss everything uh, with a yin and yang and approach and we, we challenge each other. It's, it's very, very helpful uh, for our own thinking process. Um, but when you have these major asset classes that are both going down, just like Kevin said, uh, it makes it very challenging, especially for retail. Add, but, 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 add, add on to that the the volatility that we've had this year. It, it could be a very dangerous uh, time for no. But the know, point the point I want to make the point I want to make is you have two assets. You have the safer asset and you have the riskier asset. The safer asset is the bond. The riskier asset is the stock. And so if if both perform the same on the downside. I'll take the riskier asset all day long because I know when the upside kicks in, I'm going to get more of it on the turn. Is that logical? Well, it depends on what era we're in. Because in the uh, in the for a long time, in the last three decades, stocks and bonds have been negatively correlated, and so therefore, when you had which, a, which means sorry, sorry, Kevin, for the audience, sorry, which means that what? means no, that's when, okay. And if you think about it, means that when one's going down, the other one's going up, right? And if you think so back, you're, you're reducing volatility, and that's movement correct, and risk. And so if you think to 2008, you know, you got schmucked on the uh, on your stock portfolio, yeah. but you did great on your bond portfolio. If you own long government bonds, you did very, very well. That's correct. So it was a ballast to your portfolio. Yes. And this is why it's a dangerous environment, because for the first time, they're going together. And I think a lot of that is a product of the, the 2008 crisis that you had, because you had correct. quantitative easing that followed. Right. And in that period of time, you had bonds rising. Yeah. And you had stocks rising. Now you're getting the opposite. Now, yeah. I would argue that it actually has more to do with inflation versus disinflation because we don't have deflation, but we have thank, disinflation. Thank God. We're lucky. That's right. So this has been a period where the bond market has been going up, 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 up in terms of rates. In 1982, rates were 17 or 18%. Yep. And now they're three or whatever it is. Correct. So this has been a period with disinflation. If we're entering into a period with inflation, mm -hmm. you could see a situation where bonds and stocks move together more. And I guess for the retail investor, what should they need to think about is changing the asset mix of their portfolio. Because if you go look at the Toronto Stock Exchange Composite Index, a third of it is financials. Correct. And that's the reason that we've had so much trouble with our market this year is because the banks have been, you know... They're dead, down. Dead, they're dead, down ten percent. They're down ten percent, and it's going to be difficult for uh, the stock market as a whole to rally with such a big with the financials dragging you down. And we can talk about this in the next segment. But I think that what investors should be looking at is small cap value. Is small cap value interesting? But let, let us talk about interest rates for a second here. Um, we're in a rising interest rate environment. Uh, banks make money in a rising rate environment so long as they got. Spread. In other words, as long as they pay you virtually nothing at the deposit, and if, if rates are going up, they will play that spread. But, and but, so far, it's, it hasn't been that bad. They're getting, I think it's about, what they call it NIM, net interest margin. They're getting about a half a percent of spread right now. Uh, how do you see that well, playing out? Well, see, the, the spread might widen 
as rates go up. Which would be good for the banks. Which would be good for the banks. But the real problem is that the balance sheet, meaning the growth of their of the amount of loans Debt, and yep. other things that they're doing, is going to have trouble. So if you go look at the American uh, household debt to GDP versus the Canadian household debt to GDP, in 2008, the Americans were roughly 100% and they've delevered and gone down to 75%. Whereas Canadians, in the meantime, since then have rocketed it up and we're now at 102% of household debt to GDP. So I think it's going to be difficult for Canadians to continue to put on more debt at that rate, So, which means that the banks are going to have trouble growing their books. Interesting. Uh, we're having a very, very intelligent discussion with uh, Kevin Muir, market strategist, East-West Investment Management, also author of The Macro Tourist. Um, lots been going on in this marketplace. Uh, you can get shaken out. You can get hurt. Uh, Jack and I, shaken but not stirred. More, more Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. It's a show about retirement planning and saving taxes and giving to charity. Uh, it's about a whole lot of interesting things, but uh, it does affect each and every one of us. Uh, please make yourself comfortable. Tune in, turn up your radio, and tell your friends about Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, co-host of the show, Wolfgang Klein in the driver's seat here. Got a good piece here, by the way, this morning. I've, I've mentioned this piece before, but it's always good to refresh. Four rules of thumb for retirement savings. Uh, common questions people ask us, how much do I need to save for retirement? Uh, Fidelity did some homework, and they said, by the age 30, you should have one times your income saved. By age 40, you should have three times of your three times your income saved. By age 50, you should have six times your income saved. By age 60, eight times your income saved. And by the time you retire, about 10 times the income saved. Next question is, how much should I save each and every week, month, year? And the wealthy barber taught us, pay yourself first 10%. Fidelity says, stretch it out. Try to save 15% of your pre-tax income. Uh, so if you make yourself $40,000, that means try to save yourself $6,000 a year. Uh, in terms of retirement, how do I make my retirement savings last? In other words, we don't want to run out of money. And they say to keep your withdrawals limited to 4 to 5%. Don't take out more than 4 to 5%. But Jack nails it. He always says to me, he says, Wolf, the most important factor to retirement success is the day you retire. And Fidelity goes through this. If you retire earlier, i.e. at age 62, um, you need to replace about 55% of your income from savings, which means you have to have a higher savings factor of 14 and a lower withdrawal rate, 3.9%. But if you defer retirement to age 70, you don't need to have saved as much and you can in fact then take out more than they prescribe right now. You actually go over about 5% annual withdrawal. So keep that in mind, my good friends. Save 15%, start early, save uh, a multiple to your current income and uh, in terms of taking money out, keep it in that 4% range and, well, you'll be in better shape. Uh, Kevin Muir, um, we don't need to worry about how much we take out of our accounts in the last six weeks because the market's done it for us <laughs> uh, pretty aggressively. Um, you know, basically a good 10% kick uh, in the butt 
Um, and we've seen so much movement, uh, you know, Bitcoin uh, just getting annihilated. Um, oil uh, down 12 days in a row. I do a daily radio show and I'm always updating the daily market minutes and, you know, down six days, down seven, down eight, down, uh, down 12 days. And on the 13th day, it saw some light and turned the corner and went back <laughs> up. But you published a brilliant piece and you really thought outside the box. By the way, it's Kevin Muir. Uh, he's with East West Investment Management, also a market strategist for them. And uh, we, we know him as the author of The Macro Tourist. Um, but you put out an amazing piece uh, highlighting the chart of oil going lower uh, into the abyss and then a chart of natural gas uh, going parabolically higher. And I remember talking about natural gas when a hedge fund, uh, I think it was a hedge fund, back in 2007, I'm going to say, Amaranth blew up. Uh, Nat gas at that point, I think, was $14 per British thermal unit. So that's how they talk about Nat gas and British thermal units, but 14 bucks. Uh, it blew up. Someone was offside and rolled over and got back into the twos. In fact, I think it even broke the two handle. I think it was trading below two buck at one point, Nat gas. And again, the Nat gas is stuck in Canada. We can't liquefy the stuff and ship it out until recently we approved a, pro, uh, a facility out in British Columbia, but that's years away. And as such, a lot of Nat gas gets flared. Uh, it remains within the continent. In, in Europe, it's worth seven, eight bucks all day long. Uh, here, we can't get away with this stuff. But give away this stuff. But something woke it up. Uh, taking that gas from basically what two eighty to four seventy in short order. And I'm just guessing at numbers, but I know they're not too far off. And it was it wasn't just a seasonal trade, right? Well, no, people, people 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 start heating their houses you know, in the fall, through the winter, and Nat Gas certainly has a seasonal element to it. But Big uh, time. Right. Yeah, but to Kevin a point. highlighted something else that well, was very l- interesting. Let's, let's go back. First of all, it's Amaranth, and they were the ones that lost a billion dollars in 2007, and it was a famous Canadian by the name of Brian Hunter, and he was a hedge fund. And he did it by trading spreads, and meaning that he was long one month and short another month. Oh, yeah. And the thing about natural gas is think, that... Think, you think you found a risk-free trade of some sort that's, to make That's money, right. And right? The, the thing about natural gas is that it's you can't store it. And if you have too much of it, you know, at times natural gas people, this this sounds insane, but it'll actually go to a negative price because you can't just throw it off into the atmosphere or burn it off. So there's times that it actually trades negative when there's too much of it. Did not know that. Yeah. And that, that'll happen. Okay, so because so, it's a cost to disposal. That's right. So, and, and the, the reality is that the one month can trade a much different than another month. And that's the part that you have to understand. And so in the last, um, kind of two months we've seen a dramatic increase in the near month contracts of natural gas. And as you say, they went from 250 and they were trading almost five bucks. But one of the most interesting parts about it was that if you go look at the March contract for 2019 versus the April contract, so just one month's difference, that actually blew out to a dollar um, 70, meaning that the price of one month was three bucks and the other one was 470. Yeah, and that just seems insane because it, it does. It, it just shouldn't be like we. That can occur when there's a weather and that when you know that there's a, a cold snap coming or something of that nature. But if anybody knows what the weather's going to be like in March of April next year, please let me know. Yeah. So so that led me to realize that there was more going on than just a little bit of a cold snap. That basically, when you see spreads occurring, I mean, blowing out like that. It reeked of the amaranth trade, mm-hmm. and I realized that someone was offside. Yeah. Someone meaning a big hedge fund or a commodity producer. Somebody had that spread on, and they needed to to get out get out of the trade, and they needed liquidity now. Yeah. And it, I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about oil going down, and thinking about natural gas going up at the same time. Uh-huh. And it, and I and I 
came to the conclusion that this was actually one of the hedge fund's favorite trades. It was basically long crude oil versus short natural gas. Right, which made sense because oil was sort of going up to 75 bucks and that gas was that's, not that's low. Right. And so the that other, trade did work. And, and the other thing is that natural gas, there's a cost to storage, meaning that owning a long position costs you money like owning grains or owning VIX or anything like that. So there was a natural carry to the trade that made it especially attractive to hedge funds. A lot of moving parts. And if you are unsophisticated, you are going to get your head handed to you. Uh, folks, we're learning something here. We got Kevin Muir in studio. He's a market strategist with East West Investment Management. He thinks very differently. And uh, if you want to make money in the market, you have to think different than the herd. Uh, Kevin does just that. And he's helping us to think differently. Please stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. Tis Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, the co-host of the show. We have Kevin Muir uh, in the studio. He's a macro strategist with East West Investment Management. Uh, Kevin is a very unique thinker, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to bring him on the air with us each and every year. He also is a fantastic writer, um, and if you'd like to subscribe for free to his uh, work. Uh, it is the macrotourist.com. That's correct, or eastwestfunds.com. We also publish some research over there. I encourage you to, uh, to, to subscribe to his work. Uh, it may be a little heavier than you want to read, but you know something, it'll, it'll challenge you. Uh, it'll stretch your brain. If you have any questions, you can always call Kevin directly. Call, call Jack and I as well. We'll just defer you over to Kevin anyways. Uh, so it's, dude, it's a real treat to have you on the air. But um, you know, Santa Claus parade taking place this weekend. Uh, the market's been hurt it's been it, 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 some damage has been done uh, significant damage um jim kramer on cnbc uh speaking bear market kevin do you think we're in a bear market here well jim kramer uh that reminds me of the time when he in two in 2000 gave you the seven stocks to own for the next millennial and uh all those seven stocks i think are, are bankrupt or gone now so don't uh, i wouldn't be taking any investment advice from jim kramer that, that's a good point just the the broad media in general because of the amount of emotion uh, and the stories yeah. that they try and drive out there it can be toxic for retail investors because they get really turned upside down well and the sophisticated traders the professional traders like us when we start to see something hit the news we know that the trade's almost over. It's like when your grandmother phones you up and asks you about something, you know that it's time to go the other way. It is so, so, so true. You you buy page 17, you sell page one. That's I right. Speak, I speak about that all the time. What that means about page one, Kevin, is you just have to do the opposite of page one. In other words, if everyone's giddy making money in Bitcoin, sell it. That's correct. If everyone's crying because they have too much oil, Perhaps you want to buy some of that. Perhaps. You're right. And it's a difficult thing to do because you want to own the thing that's going up. You want to own the stuff that everybody else is owning and talking about in t cocktail parties. Uh, stocks are one of the few assets where when it goes higher in price, the demand doesn't go down. It actually goes up. 
Is that what happens? You believe? Do, well, there's a certain as price rise, demand goes up. Does that mean it follows through in volume? Does volume well, does volume follow trend? No, but if you if you think about it, it's actually George Soros, a famous hedge fund manager, talked about reflexivity, and yeah. it's the, one of the few assets where the price of it actually affects the, the the supply and demand of the actual asset. So you can't look at it in isolation. You know, if you take apples for example, and you put the price of apples up, the demand goes down. But the thing is that doesn't happen in stocks. You go and you put Tesla up and you get the story going. People want to buy more of it as it goes up because they see everyone else making money. I remember seeing Harley Davidson restrict supply back in the, uh, I can say late 80s, early 90s when it, it, they got a good resurgence. And they really restricted supply. And as such, they would negotiate zero on the bike. Uh, zero because they restricted supply. They would always sell out. Right. Well, I think that story has changed, my good friend. <laughs> uh, Kevin Muir, Market Strategist, East-West Investment Management. I, I strongly encourage you folks to uh, go to themacrotourist.com, sign up for his letter. I promise you will learn something, uh, and I promise you will think differently, which could, in fact, save you a lot of money in the long run. Uh, I want to wish you all a great weekend. Don't forget, if you're in Toronto this weekend, stop by the Santa Claus Parade, the largest parade in the world. Celebrate the arrival of Santa. Yes, something for everyone, the Santa Claus Parade. Uh, I want to wish you a great weekend. Thank you, Jack, for your efforts. Uh, Wolfgang Klein, Hi-Fi Radio will be back next weekend. Have a good one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.